My consideration today is from Roger Patterson from the book uh, Evolution Exposed and it's Understanding Science Today. Science has been hijacked by those with a materialistic worldview and exalted as the ultimate means of obtaining knowledge about the world. Proverbs tells us that the fear of God, not science, is the beginning of knowledge. In a biblical worldview, scientific observations are interpreted in light of the truth that is found in the Bible. If conclusions contradict the truth revealed in Scripture, the conclusions are rejected. The same thing happens in naturalistic science. Any conclusion that does not have a naturalistic explanation is rejected. If you go back to Galileo and some of the earlier scientists there, a lot of their premises and conclusions were all based upon Scripture. These guys today are some of the most, uh, what shall we say, uh, godless people that you will ever encounter. And a lot of what they're practicing is not science at all. Uh, but we digress. Uh, that brings us to our message today. And we wanted to focus on... Um, We've been talking for the last 24 messages on uh, what uh, agape love and the commandment to love one another. And so I would hope, because we're winding down toward the end, that you would have some understanding of how important love is. Um, I remember uh, uh, what uh, Forrest Gump say on Forrest Gump, I know what love is, Jenny. <laughs> I think it's what he says. Well, do you know what love is? Do you really know what love is? Do you know what agape love is? Because that word is used a lot in our world, but a lot of people don't really understand what it means. It has a lot of connotations. And as we've told you, there's a lot of different words that are used to, to, for love. And the world system uses a couple of them. Uh, phileo is a fondness. Most of what you see in the world system is a, a fondness or a lot of the sexual things is, would be fallen to eros, which is an erotic love that uh, is manifested. And in most of your relationships, that's what's going on today. Uh, and so they say, I love you. And then you say, well, how do you know? Oh, I get a feeling read, read down in my heart. You know, and we have Cupid, right, with the arrow that goes through the heart. And you remember we read about <laughs> Cupid, and then it goes back into Greek mythology, and the belief that there was this, um, not a chubby little um, cherub uh, as they project him today, but this God of love that would pierce your heart and you couldn't, affect, couldn't help to know who it is that he's going to make you love. And you just fall in love with that person and voila, and you just can't help it, right? And so we know that from a, from a biblical point of view, uh, all of those things are not true. Not from that. I do believe that you can help who you love and you actually make determinations about who you love. And so you hear people say in relationships, I've fallen out of love. We're not in love anymore. I just don't have that feeling anymore. Was that a song? <laughs> and so you have people who say all of this kind of stuff and you think, oh, yeah, you can help it. This is a decision you're making. This is not something that's emotional. Now, emotion comes from it, but it's not something that is an emotional decision. It's something that you determine to do. And so we've been seeing this in agape love. Agape love it comes as a result of the believer uh, having the life of Christ indwelling you. Because Christ is indwelling you, he imparts to you his quality of life. 
So what we're going to look at the next two weeks is how do we access that? And we started last week uh, or a couple of weeks ago. And one of the things that we saw is that the church is doing it wrong. You're not going to be able to access agape love by teaching law teaching. And remember in Ephesus, that's what they were doing, right? They were teaching law. And so they, they could not access agape love. Remember what Paul says? That the end of this commandment is love out of a pure heart and faith that is unhypocritical. And so you don't get genuineness and true love if you're not spiritual. You're not going to be able to do it. And what's happening in a lot of places all over is that the churches are faking it. They fake it. And how do we know that they're faking it? Because true agape love, as we've seen, is self-sacrificing. And it's not dependent upon the object that you're loving. And so, you know, in the world system... Uh, people love someone that they are attracted to, right? Oh, aren't they a hunk of burning love? And they're attracted to them, and all of a sudden, I just feel such love for that person. Well, agape love is totally the opposite of that, you see. Agape love is not predicated on the object that you're loving. And so this has all been mixed up. And in the church, uh, it, it, people do not have the ability to sustain agape love. They are uh, utilizing a kind of love, but it's not agape love because it's predicated on, well, this person didn't do this for me, or they didn't do this, or they're not acting this way, so I'm not going to love them. Okay, have you ever thought about what would happen if you reversed that and God said that about you? Well, this person's not acting right. Well, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna give the love that I need to give to him. Isn't it silly? It's really silly. And so, the only way that you can do this is if you're filled by the Spirit, and the Spirit is directing it, and that produces consistency and agape love among the saints. And it's not something that I could grip my teeth and do. I can't make myself do it because you will encounter believers in which you will have to uh, uh, self-sacrifice on their behalf. And if it's a feeling, you're not going to be able to do it. You're not going to be able to do it. I promise you, you're not going to be able to do it. But if it's spirit driven, you can do it. Because it's not based upon the circumstances of the person or what they're doing or not doing. You have the ability to give them what they need. And that is supernatural. That is supernatural. Father, we're grateful for the opportunity of being able to look at these things and grateful that as believers that we can see what true love is. And we're thankful that as believers that we have your word to articulate it to us. Thankful that you provided um, the insight of what you desire for us concerning a love for the brethren 
and that you not only um, give us insight about what you desire, you've also given us the ability to do it. We're thankful that as we live by grace and we live in our position, that we can allow the Holy Spirit to produce this kind of love in our life, and we're able then to love the brethren in a way that you desire. And we're thankful for that potential in your son's name we pray. Amen. And so we want to go back to Galatians, the sixth, uh, fifth chapter. <clears throat> and in Galatians, the fifth chapter, uh, Paul introduces to these Galatian believers the importance of walking by means of the Spirit. Walking by means of the Spirit. You know, it's become apparent to me um, that there's a lot of believers, again, as I told you, who live their daily life and they don't give any consideration to the Holy Spirit's involvement in their life on a daily basis at all. At all. Now, I told you, I told this fellow yesterday that, that when I, me and Joyce make decisions, we try to make decisions pursuant to the will of God. And those decisions we make, we make them pursuant to the will of God. Now, to a lot of people, this is like, they never heard of this. Well, it's not like we're some super Christians. We're just going by what Scripture says. That we make our decisions pursuant to what God's will is for our life. And when you do that, you really avoid a lot of trouble. So Paul tells these Galatians here, they were at a point where they were actually spiritual. And then these, these uh, Judaizers came in and taught them that they had to live by law. That it's okay that you were saved by grace, but you have to operate by law. And what, what happened? They, all, they became carnal. And so let's pick it up in verse 7 where you see Paul says this. Well, we'll go back and just, we can read down through because I do want to establish some context here. In verse 1 of uh, Galatians 5, he says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty where Christ has made us free, and be not entangled again in a yoke of bondage. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you, that if you be circumcised, Christ is profit you nothing. For I testify to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law. Always interesting to me because you see this here, and I think it's in James as well, that if you say that you're going to obey, observe the Ten Commandments of the law, do you know you have to do every one of them? And people who say that they're living by law, they either are ignorant of what scripture says, or they're dishonest. Okay, both of those are not good choices, but I'm going to just call them ignorant <laughs> because dishonest would question their motives. And so notice here, verse 4, Christ is become of no effect unto you, whosoever who are justified by not the law, because if, okay, so what's important here is that this doesn't have an article. And if you just leave it here in, in the Greek, it doesn't have an article. And if you just leave it like that, it makes it think, it makes one think that he's talking about the Mosaic law. 
Well, he actually is removing it from that. And he's saying that if you are justified by any law, now that makes it difficult, doesn't it? Because you, you could say to yourself, well, I don't live by the Ten Commandments. But what about all of the laws you set up for yourself? Right? Law, and how do you know it's a law? I set up a rule to show either people or to show myself how righteous I am by what I do. Anytime you've done that, you've set up a law for yourself. And if you are conducting life this way, uh, you have fallen from grace. You're not living by grace. If you come up with a rule where you're trying to justify yourself to other people, if you come up with a rule where you're trying to justify yourself to yourself, that's not grace. That's not grace. And how often do people do this? And they conduct their lives this way. And they think that they're doing God a favor. And so he says, if you, uh, uh, whosoever of you who are justified not by the law, but by any law for religious purposes, you are fallen from grace. And notice what he says, for we through the spirit wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Jesus Christ, neither circumcision avails anything nor uncircumcision, but faith, which uh, worketh is, is energized by love. Now, notice you can see that these believers were at a point where they were at one point they were doing well. They were living by grace. And remember, at the first chapter, Paul says, I'm, I'm marveled that you're so soon removed from the gospel uh, into a different gospel. And what was this gospel he was talking about? It was the good news of how to live by grace. They had abandoned it. And they had known that at some point that it's all by grace. I'm saved by grace. I live by grace. It's all grace. But these Judaizers had told them and talked them into believing that, okay, you can, it's grace to be saved, but it's law. In salvation. Hold your finger. I just want to show you one other thing here in the third chapter of Galatians. Galatians chapter 3. And um, verse 1. Notice what he says. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Who's cast a spell on you? Uh, that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ has been evidently set forth crucified among you. This only I would learn of you, receive you the spirit by the works of law or by the hearing of faith. Are you so foolish having begun in the spirit that now you're made perfect by the flesh? You see? They understood that it, it, it first, as they began, it was by grace. And I, and I see it with believers. You see believers who believe the facts of the gospel, and I say cynically sometimes, 
that the church ruins them, and it's really not, it's not too far from the truth. You get believers who believe the facts of the gospel, and they go in, and they're living completely by grace, and then they learn from people in there, oh, no, it's by law. Oh, no, you got to do something, right? And they say, when you, when you put somebody, in, when you get somebody in the church, when they first became believers, get them in and get them busy. I don't believe that. I believe you get them in and you teach them. You don't need for a new believer to be busy. You need for them to learn. And so notice back in the fifth chapter in verse seven, <laughs> you did run well. Who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth? So in other words, they, he shows them as running a race and somebody cut in on them. And move them off of their course. And he says, this persuasion comes not from the one that calleth you a little leaven, leaven at the whole lump. I have confidence in you through the Lord that you will be no otherwise minded. But he that troubles you shall bear the judgment whosoever he be. And I, brethren, if I preach uh, circumcision, why do I suffer persecution? Then as the offense of the cross ceased, I would that... Uh, they were even cut off who trouble you. For brethren, we have been called into liberty. Only use not liberty as an occasion for the flesh, but by love serve one another. So what we're going to see over the next couple of weeks is that what God did is that he freed us from our sin nature. We've been freed from our sin nature. But we've not been freed from our sin nature to serve ourselves. It's so that you can serve one another as slaves. And so notice, uh, for all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take heed lest you be consumed of one another. Then he gets to this, verse 16. This I say then, walk, and I'm going to translate this by means. I believe the spirit is the instrument by how you walk. Walk by means of the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Here's a promise that the believer has that if you walk by means of the spirit, do you know you'll never indulge in the sin nature? Here's a promise. And we're going to see it's a very emphatic promise. And so why is he starting here? Because as the believer is able to overcome his sin nature, now the Holy Spirit's going to have the ability to be able to produce in the believer God's life. And what is part of that life? Love. Love. What really stops most believers from directing agape love toward one another? Uh, my sin nature. Right? I mean, you start looking at some of the things of the works of the flesh, and you start thinking <clears throat> envying, murders, uh, these kind of things, strife, heresies. It's just hard to you. Somebody does something to you, and you start thinking, well, you guys don't think this. I'm not going to put this on you, but people do this, right? Somebody does something to them, and 
Well, that person's not going to get away with that. Why? For who do they think that they are? Right? And it just clouds your judgment. You don't have the ability to give the person what they need. Right? And so I think that's why he starts here. So this is issue of walk. It's the word peripatao. And it's in an imperative. And it's used as, we'll see, it's used in an imperative several times. And so in an imperative, what he's saying to you, this is not a suggestion. This is not a suggestion. Now, you have people who say that imperatives are like new, the new commandments that God has given us, like the new law, the New Testament law. No, it's not that at all. You know what the imperative would be like? Is if you were speeding down this road and there was a dead end and I say to you, hey, I would slow down if I were you. And you say to me, mind your own business. I say, okay. <laughs> the imperative is telling you, this is what you ought to do. If you know what's best for you, this is what you ought to do. And so notice what happens here. He says, uh, this word, you walk. Now, I'm going to give you a definition, several definitions of this word for walk. <laughs> Alexander Soter, in his lexicon, he says, it, it, in an ethical sense, it's, I conduct my life or I live. Uh, Vines gives this definition, signifying the whole round of activities of the individual life, whether of the unregenerate or the uh, believer. And that's true, because walk is used of the believer and the unbeliever as well. Then might I'll give you this definition um, to conduct one's life pursuant to a particular direction, and so it's how you are conducting your life. Now you have a couple of words in the New Testament that are used that uh, looks at this idea. You have this word for walk, which is looking at more individual decisions, and then you have the word for a conversation that's used that's talking about the habit of how you live. And so I, this is, I think, looking more specifically at individual decisions that you're making uh, on a daily basis. And so it's used prominently in the New Testament. And let's look at some of these places where you see it. Look at Ephesians 5 and verse 8 as an example. <clears throat> and so here's it again. This is used in the imperative. And, it, and it's telling the believer, this is what you ought to do. You know, if you know what's in your best interest, you ought to do this. Now, let me say at this point, what happens sometimes is that we are in a society that if somebody tells us you need to do something, the way that we actually gauge whether we, it's important to do or not is whether the person is A, watching us, or B, if they come back and say it again. And so... God's not come down out of the heaven and say, didn't I tell you to do this? But it's written right here. I mean, he hasn't changed it. And so notice right here in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse, uh, we'll pick it up at 7. Being ye not therefore, uh, actually go back a little bit of 6. Let no man deceive you with vain words. For because of these things cometh the wrath of God on the children of disobedience. Um, be ye not therefore partakers with them, for you were sometimes darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Now he's going to give an imperative. You walk as children of the light. Walk. 
Conduct your life as children of the light. Well, what's the difference? Because there are, there's the other side of it. You have the sons of disobedience, and then you have this darkness that is being manifested as well. And I really believe the more I learn that what God is wanting is the life of his son to be seen out in these human bodies because it provides a wonderful contrast. Not only for spirit beings, but other people who see it. And so see the imperative there, and notice he says it again down in verse 15 of Ephesians 5. Uh, We'll start with uh, verse 11. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of, uh, really it's uh, the darkness. Now why is that, why would I translate it that way? Because it's an organized system. It's, so when you say life, you walk as children of light, um, we'll see that light is the manifestation of God's life and activity. You could, one of the best places to see that is in John, the Gospel of John chapter 1 and verse 4. In him was life, and that life was what? It was the light of men. Life and light are synonymous. So when he says walk as children of light, walk manifesting God's life in activity. And so notice what he says here in verse 11, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful words of the darkness, but rather reprove them. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. But all things which are reproved are made manifest by the light. For whatsoever does make manifest is light. Wherefore, he says, awake thou that sleepeth, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. Now, you, you missed this in the, in, the, in the English, but this is really what you could translate this to say. Awake thou the ones who are sleeping, and rise up from among dead ones. Uh, remember the movie, The Zombie Apocalypse? They say it's coming. Oh, it's been here a long time. It's been here since the fall. You have a lot of dead people. Spiritually dead. And these believers were living down in among these spiritually dead. And Paul says, rise up out from among them. Act like who you are. And so notice he says, see verse 15 that you walk circumspectly or really accurately. Not as fools. And so, uh, you know, there's a lot of fool words. Remember, we went through that uh, on the ship. I think some of those people that were on that, that ship remember all the kind of fools there are in Scripture. Quite a few, isn't there? <laughs> but this word for fool here is the word unwise ones. And the, the, the unsaved man doesn't have the ability to have this kind of wisdom. Walk not as circumspect, accurately, not as fools, but as wise. And notice what he says here, verse 16. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. Taking advantage of the season. Taking advantage of the season. 
I told my wife some years ago, it has struck me that I probably have lived more years than I have left to live. And unless I live to be a hundred and something, that would be accurate. Time gets away from you. It really does. And there's a proper season that God has given for the believer to accomplish certain things, taking advantage of it. Buying or purchasing out the time for the days are evil. And so notice that word for again, uh, the, the imperative here to walk circumspectly. And then you see it characterized of those activities of those who walk disorderly. Now, the walk of, the, uh, of a man is determined by his spiritual status. And so one of the things you see is that the unsaved man walks in a certain way and the believer is supposed to walk in a completely different way. Let's look at this in a couple of ways. Look at um, in Ephesians chapter 2, since we're in Ephesians. And verse 1, and you had he quickened, uh, he has made alive, who, was, who was, were dead in trespasses and sins. And so every single unsaved person is dead to God. You realize that. And so notice he says here, trespasses and sins. And, and those, it's important again that he makes this distinction trespasses is, disti- is distinct from sins, right? Now notice he goes into verse 2. Wherein in times past you walked according to the course of, this a- of the age of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air and the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. And so all of the unsaved people before you were saved and all of the people who are unsaved now, they are being manipulated. And people say, well, there's a conspiracy. Yes, there's a huge conspiracy. Satan's manipulating all of them. And you and I were part of that manipulation. And so who is he using? Well, I think he's using these mature sons of disobedience. I think they're a huge part of his plans. They set the tempo and everybody else follows. And so notice how they are a part of that and they walk. Now notice in Romans, the fifth, eighth chapter in verse five, it gives you a little bit more insight into the walk of the unsaved man and what happens with his mind. If you talk to an unsaved man about spiritual things, um, you might as well. Well, when we, me and Joyce were on our trip, we were in uh, South Dakota, I think it was, and we encountered this big grizzly bear. And I took a picture by it, right? Um, I probably would have more success talking to that stuffed grizzly bear uh, than you would about talking to an unsaved man about spiritual things. They don't have the ability to be able to understand it. And so notice Paul says here in Romans chapter 8, and he talks about, he starts off in verse 1, and I've, we've talked about this before, that there's uh, really, uh, 
that translation is not translated correctly in verse 1. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, period, is what it says in the original. Then in verse 2, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be filled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. And notice here, in this, verse 5, For they that are after the flesh, or you could translate that, those who are according to a standard of measurement of the flesh, what do they do? They do mind the things of the flesh. What does that mean, they mind the things of the flesh? That word actually has the ideal. It's the result of an act of how they are framing their minds. Their frame of mind is totally locked in on this fallen nature in differing degrees. Now, we talked about it. There are certain um, works of the flesh that are acceptable in society and becoming more acceptable, uh, acceptable, right? There was a time when sexual, certain sexual behaviors were unaccepted in, in, the, uh, in society, right? Um, I think by now, I mean, you could be gay, you can uh, say that you have uh, all kinds of different genders and all of that. That's acceptable. But they look at the guy who messes around on his wife as being the one that's really bad, right? But you see how society, they make distinctions? between works of the flesh. They have said that homosexuality is an acceptable work of the flesh. God says it's not. And so you, so they are framing their minds on different aspects of the sin nature. That's what they do. And if you try to talk to them about spiritual matters, you might get more out of talking to that wall. And I, I just think it takes some discernment. And when you understand you're talking to an unsaved man, don't waste your time talking about spiritual matters. But they that are after the Spirit, on the contrary, frame their minds on the things of the Spirit. And so you see the big contrast there. And so those who are after the flesh, they walk, they mind, or they frame their minds on the things of the flesh. Uh, and so do you have this walk of the believer, and the believer walks in a different way. And so um, notice in the 8th chapter, down in verse 12, you see this said, Therefore, brethren, we are not debtors to the flesh to live after the flesh, or to live according to a standard of measurement of the flesh. And so believers say our, uh, uh, operate in a totally different way. And let's go back to Galatians 5 then and look at this with regard to walk. In Galatians 5. And so he says again, walk by means of the Spirit. And so this word for walk, again, is the, it's uh, emphasizing to conduct your life. Now, in the spirit, again, I, I told you, I really think that uh, this is more of an instrumental idea, and I would translate it uh, by means of. 
And notice what he says. He gives a promise here that if the believer walks by means of the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. He uses a, an idiom here in the original language, which is uh, two negatives together. Uh, we don't use that in the English. If we, if we, use, if we put two negatives together in the English, uh, we, we would say it's not good English, right? But he actually would translate it this way, and I, I gave you this idea behind it, that, um, that here's a promise that you will in no way, no wise ever fulfill the lust of the flesh. That if you walk by means of the Spirit, now what do you mean walk by means of the Spirit? We'll get into that next week of how you walk by means of the Spirit. But he's telling you that if you walk by means of the Spirit, you will in no way, no wise, not ever once bring to a, uh, a completion the lust of the flesh. And so you see this negative, it's used in several places. Uh, and I just want to show you one example of it. Look at Romans, the fourth chapter in verse 8. To show you how thorough of a promise this is, and God has used these kinds of things in Scripture before. Now, this is concerning Abraham. In Romans chapter 4 and verse 8, um, God had made this promise, and uh, notice he says, uh, and again, it doesn't come out, it will, it's actually translated here, will not. Um, it's, but the uh, negative there is actually uh, this ume, meaning that it is, there's no way it will ever happen. So he says, blessed is the man whom God will not, or you could translate, in no way, no wise will ever impute sin or count sin. And so this is a, a promise that was made in the future, and we see that that has happened today. And so there is a promise that God has made, and he uses these negatives, these double negatives, to really em emphasize that. So what does it mean? So if you walk by means of the Spirit, you will in no way, no wise, fulfill uh, the lust of the flesh. Now this word fulfill is an interesting word. It's the word uh, teleo. Um, and I would translate it this way, to finish or bring to completion an endeavor. To finish or bring to completion and endeavor. And so there's a lot of misunderstandings. Uh, um, the sin nature provides uh, certain lust that uh, the believer will be tempted by. And we understand, according to uh, first uh, to book of James, that each man is tempted when by what? His own lust. He is dragged away and enticed. What Paul is saying here that if you walk by means of the Spirit, no lust from the sin nature will ever reach its intended conclusion. And so this word for teleo, uh, it's used of uh, completion. And so let's just look at a, uh, just one scripture here to show you. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 7. Paul uses it as he talks about um, the end of his journey. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 7. So here's Paul's last will and testament as he's getting ready to go off the scene. Some people believe that uh, they're sharpening the sword as he's getting ready to die and he's pinning his last words. What would you want your last words to say as you were getting ready to die? Hopefully it's not God help me. <laughs> Protect me. Oh, keep me here. I want more time. 
<laughs> I hope it's not that. Right? Notice what Paul had to say. I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. Be instant in season and out of season. Reproof, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust, they shall keep to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Now, I really think this is significant here. And I don't know if we're going to get a chance to get into it. It's word for uh, um, um, fables. It's the word muthos. And it's actually the word for myths. And I think, and, and it can be proven, because this is a word that we saw over in 1 Timothy 2, 1 Timothy chapter 1. I think what is being substituted for grace teaching for people to grow and mature is nothing more than mythology. They're taking Old Testament concepts and scriptures that had some truth to it, and by the time they teach it, it's unrecognizable. It's unrecognizable. And it's being advanced as the doctrine by which you can grow by. Well, it was already happening in Ephesus, even before Paul went off the scene. And he says, they would turn their ears away from the truth and be turned to fables. But you watch in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of your ministry. For I am already being offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. That word finished, I have brought to a completion the intended end of what was intended for me. Do you know that's the word that's used over in Galatians 5? That if you walk by means of the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. You will not bring it to its intended end. That the Holy Spirit has the capability of getting the believer to where you and I need to be in order that we are manifesting God's kind of life. One of those things that can be manifested among the believers is love. And so back in Galatians 5, uh, he says, you walk by means of the spirit and you will in no way, no wise bring to a completion the lust of the flesh. And so the spirit is the one that is able to do this. And I just uh, we'll close with this. I just want to give you a couple of illustrations to show you uh, in Ephesians chapter five and verse two. And then we'll talk about next week, Lord willing, how do you walk by means of the Spirit? And we'll see that. In Ephesians chapter 1, be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. And notice, and walk, how? In love. Conduct your life in love. You can't. You can't, we're going to see, you and I can't do this. We're going to encounter even believers. Okay, so we're just talking about believers here. Now, I just, it blows my mind to people that think that you're supposed to love everybody. 
because those people are going to do crazy stuff. And if you show your, if you direct agape love for them, you're going to put yourself in a really bad situation, really bad situation. But we're dealing with believers here. And believers, well, you and I, we're not always on our best behavior, are we? Sometimes we can be a little mean and nasty. Well, not you guys, but some people can. And as we encounter each other, uh, the natural inclination, if I'm carnal and operating out of my sin nature, is to respond. It's kind of like animals, really. I've learned a lot from my chickens, as I've told you. (laughs) Chickens can be some of the most mean and vicious animals. I know what henpeck means now. (laughs) I see it all the time. And people can do this to each other. The chicken comes over, one hen comes over to drink water, and there's a pecking order. And if the dominant hen comes over to drink water and the other one tries to come over, what does she do? She pecks at her. Like, get out of here. (laughs) This is not your time. I'm I'm in control here. And this is what believers can do to each other when we're not spiritual. It can get nasty. When we're not filled by the Spirit, it can get nasty. How are we going to conduct ourselves in love? By our own strength? Walking by means of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit wants to do the job, but he can't do it when I'm so busy trying to justify myself to myself or to other people. He needs me to just shut up. Just stop. Allow him to do the work. Now we'll see next week how God has provided for that to be the case. That the Holy Spirit will do the work when we trust in what God has said about who we really are. And he will produce in us the love we need to love one another. Father, we're grateful for the opportunity of being able to look at these things and grateful that as believers that we've been given all the things that we need to be able to manifest agape love as we allow ourselves to rely upon the provisions that you provided. And as we do so, as we walk by means of the Spirit, that that love can be evident among the saints. And we're thankful for that provision. In your son's name we pray. Amen.